just 3.4% of YouTube channels have more than 10,000 subscribers. That means once you as a creator hit your 10,000 and first subscriber, you're in the top 3% of YouTubers. With consistency and time, it's entirely possible. Welcome back to On The Horizon. This is Melrose Michaels. I am your host, and I'm here to share what's worked for me in building my adult creator business to try to make building yours just a little bit easier. Let's get into today's episode. Who misses free and affordable ads without the anti-sex work rhetoric? Assembly 4 is a team of sex workers and technologists from Melbourne, Australia, aiming to bring back free and fair advertising to the sex work community. They also give back to organizations based in harm reduction, sex work, and education. Stepping away from the clunky design of traditional platforms, their platform, Trist.link, is a refreshing and well-needed change in both presentation and mission. It's free to join and open to all. In the words of an A4 user, from the policies to the language to the advice and tips, it makes such a big difference to feel supported and encouraged instead of policed. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me. Today's podcast is pretty special for me personally because I have been spending a large (laughs) amount of time lately studying this concept, Um, and I think it's an avenue that most creators haven't approached, and that is YouTube. So I know a lot of the CEO squad that's listening is immediately going to think, YouTube doesn't allow explicit content, I'll probably get banned there, etc. And what I want to say before we get into this specific space is that I really want to reframe your approach to YouTube from being a sex worker or an adult creator to simply being a creator. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, that is what we are in our simplest form. And I think it's important to remember that. And to speak a little more to that point, we as a community of sex workers, of adult creators, are met with so much resistance in terms of discrimination and deplatforming that it can be really, really easy to just assume that it's impossible to exist pretty much anywhere. And that's not necessarily true. It is possible because there are, you know, adult creators doing this successfully. But I think the difference is that they're really focusing what they post on these kinds of platforms around being a mainstream creator or influencer. And I think that's really the safest route on these kinds of platforms to exist long term, not have to face as much resistance and then gain traffic and ultimately funnel it to, you know, your paywalls, your fan sites, your clips, whatever it might be. So now with this in mind, Consider that you are approaching this as a mainstream creator. And let's talk about why I want you to consider YouTube specifically. So this is for a few reasons. First off, YouTube is the second largest search engine on the internet, and it is the third most visited website in the world. These stats will fluctuate, but it's either first or second in the world. And that means in respect to potentially getting exposure to new fans, it's pretty much bar none. So if that last point alone, you know, it wasn't enough to interest you, the fact is that on YouTube, you can also upload content that is age restricted or that you can check this box that says this content is not made for kids, which is another massively appealing factor, especially for a creator who might feel that there's more of a dilemma in terms of like ethics and morality with using something like TikTok, which a lot of creators I know really feel, you know, I guess, like conflicting views on it because, yeah, you want the organic growth and the organic traffic from something like TikTok, 
But there's a flip side to that argument that says, you know, this platform is really geared toward kids. So whatever side, I guess, of that coin that you you feel strongly about on YouTube specifically, you can genuinely age gate your content. So I think that this is another value add should you choose to do so and if, if YouTube is right for your business. Now, finally, if you do YouTube right, that content alone can also be re-edited and reformatted into pretty much everything else. So, you know, YouTube shorts, reels, TikToks, etc. And I think this is a third really valuable point is that if you create something once for YouTube, it can make you really effective at distributing across social. And then also you'll be optimized as far as your safe for work content goes and having a flow and a distribution to keep you, you know, active and engaged and consistent across every social platform. So I think these are three really important points to understand and keep in mind when you're considering utilizing YouTube as a platform. So we could talk pretty much all day about additional reasons to start a YouTube channel, but ultimately I don't think most of you listening to this need a whole lot of persuading to become active on YouTube, but rather more so strategies in terms of understanding how exactly you can succeed there. What I do want to address, because I know some of you listening are probably also thinking this as well, is that I probably won't be able to monetize my YouTube channel, or if I start a YouTube channel, I'll lose my monetization. So the way I view this is, yes, you know, you could have an unmonetizable channel. In fact, many mainstream creators in general can't monetize their channels at all. So if you're approaching YouTube just with the goal of monetization of the channel, I don't think that's really the right approach. Even the most, you know, squeaky clean creators have a lot of trouble staying monetized on YouTube. And that comes down to YouTube's own issues with with ad revenue and in the way they value their creators versus, you know, their advertising dollars. Now, with the goal of your YouTube channel, in my opinion, I think it should be to grow an audience, which will generate traffic to your paywalls. I think that's the most practical application for an adult creator. So with that in mind, you don't even have to tell your audience on YouTube about your adult sites, to subscribe to your adult sites. These kinds of things will happen naturally and organically as your audience and community grows on that platform. So try not to even let the idea, you know, just of monetization stop you from starting a channel. But, you know, in the back of some of your heads, I'm sure you're thinking, well, we can't link to our platforms either. But we have we have solutions for this. So I don't think that should be a reason to not get started. But if anything, you can also consider that monetizing your YouTube channel really takes place on the adult platform side when that traffic finds your pages. Or long term, if you build a big enough channel, there will always be opportunities to monetize it in regards to like sponsors or ads placed internally in your video with arrangements, you know, you strike up outside of YouTube entirely. So keep those things in mind. Just because you might not get or keep monetization status long term, I don't think that's a reason to not proceed and build something, you know, substantial on the platform. Now, keeping this in mind, (laughs) as we go through, you know, the list of things that I'm compiling, I want to kind of circle back to some some main ideas. So while I think that we should use this time to really, I think, pivot and focus on the tactical things that I've been researching around launching and building a channel, I think that, you know, if you're familiar with SexWorkCO as a whole and you kind of follow the stuff we put out, the biggest takeaway for me and the things I like to stress are the really tangible things. So that you can, you know, see a tweet of ours and pull the takeaway and actually implement the step-by-step process or, or an idea into what you're doing and see results from it. So I really like to stay tangible in kind of the information we educate on and steer clear of more philosophical or like inspirational things. So keeping this in mind as we continue into this space, the research and the things I've been finding as I've been going through this, you know, 
literal YouTube rabbit hole. Everyone in my household is so tired of me talking and watching things about YouTube is I want to kind of put a disclaimer on all of this is that I haven't personally, you know, expanded much between either of my companies, my Melrose brand or Sexwork CEO into the YouTube realm yet, you know, in a like I'm actively posting weekly videos to a channel or anything like that. So as far as my Melrose Michaels YouTube channel goes, when I launched that, it was with this reality show type of series called Shameless in the South. And I basically made that as a way to highlight what it was like being an adult creator in the Bible Belt with some of my friends here locally. Beyond those 10 episodes that I shot with, you know, those that group of people and put on YouTube, that channel still presently only sits at like 500 plus subscribers. And I think there's 17 total videos, including the YouTube shorts that I made to support, you know, those episodes. So that channel's tiny. It's nothing to write home about. On the other hand, Sexwork CEO as a YouTube channel has a little bit more activity, 3,500 plus subscribers, you know, mostly you lovely creators listening to the podcast. And it hosts about 239 videos between courses, past podcasts, and shorts. So even that channel isn't very impressive in size. And I'll even say that most of that channel has been built extremely blind as to any actual practical strategies that I should have had in place. So the stuff that I want to expose you guys to listening here today are really the things I'm going to be actively working on and implementing with my two channels. And you're kind of going to get to go through that process with me in real time if you follow our stuff here on Sexwork CEO. So I mentioned this because in the next coming year, that's going to be a main focus of mine for both businesses is to be shifting this, you know, YouTube piece and making it a priority of the businesses. And so for the first time, you guys can actually watch me build these platforms in real time and have me report back to you on real insights that I'm, you know, personally experiencing as these things are happening. So it'll be a really unique way compared to the stuff we've done so far, like educational wise, because up to this point, everything has already been experienced, has already been tested, already already been documented, and I'm just kind of sharing it. So this will be a, a more real-time exposure to education than we've done prior. So I do want to put that disclaimer on things. Now, with that all in mind, let's take a look at some of the hard data, because you guys know I love data, about YouTube channels and creators as a whole. So just 10% of popular YouTube channels with over 250,000 subscribers are responsible for 70% of all videos posted to YouTube. So 10% of the channels are responsible for 70% of the videos. So that really speaks to things like consistency and continuity in activity. Another data point is that on YouTube, a few successful and consistent channels dominate the platform. So in fact, the videos posted by that same 10% of large channels also receive an average of 79% of all views, which makes sense. You know, if 10% of people are creating 70% of all content, you would expect that those 10% of channels are getting 70% or more of all views. So that all checks out, right? Nothing, nothing crazy there. Now, over 84% of YouTube channels have less than 1,000 subscribers. Let that sink in. Over 84% of YouTube channels have less than 1,000 subscribers. That means once you launch your channel and hit your 1,001st subscriber, you're pretty much in the top 16% of YouTubers on the platform. How crazy is that? It's a pretty low barrier of entry if you really frame it in that light. Now next, approximately 3.4% of YouTube channels have more than 10,000 subscribers. So that means once you as a creator hit your 10,001st subscriber, you're in the top 3% of YouTubers. So these stats are approximate considering, you know, YouTube is gaining 500 plus video hours of content daily and pretty much the site is forever changing. But 
This data specifically is sourced from out of the 925.com if you guys want to look up more of their stuff yourself. But hopefully that data is motivating you and inspiring you to at least stick with your new channel until you pass those milestones or thresholds because they're massive successes. Getting to your 1,000 and first subscriber, huge, massive win. That means that you are in the top, you know, 16% of YouTubers. Getting to your 10,000 and first subscriber, that puts you in the top 3% of YouTubers. So these are big goals, but ultimately attainable goals. And I think that when we look at YouTube as a whole, as a creator, especially as an adult creator who has all this additional resistance as far as social platforms go, putting it in that perspective really makes it seem attainable and possible instead of looking at these huge creators with millions and millions of followers or subscribers and being like, how can I ever become that? The reality is with consistency and time and just sticking it out so you get to these tiny benchmarks, it's entirely possible. And I really want that to be a takeaway for a lot of you guys listening. Otherwise, it can seem like this mountain that's just not climbable. Now, data points in mind, let's get into actual things I discovered in the 50 or so plus hours that I spent in the last 30 days dissecting the top YouTube channels, which included people like Mr. Beast, Marquise Brunley, uh, Ryan Trahan, Sniper Wolf, and a gazillion more. So the rest of the space, I'm going to dedicate to five elements that I think are really required to build a successful YouTube channel. And these are things I will be implementing across our channels as well. So the five elements are one, being excellent storytelling, two, strong hooks and intros, three, strategic cuts and pacing, four, being relatable to your audience. I'm sure that seems like an obvious one to most. And then five, creating content that isn't about you, which is going to be so contrary to what I think most of us originally approach things with or would think would help a channel. But I'm going to explain that in depth here in a little bit. While some of those elements are going to surprise you, let's dive in and we'll get into them in detail. So first, excellent storytelling. The reality is that while most of you listening to this already have a really strong skill set in regards to how to film and produce content from like a logistical aspect, you know how to like, you know, trim and split clips, add them together, insert transitions, fade to black, whatever it might be. Logistically, we as adult creators already know how to produce content in a very general way. But what a lot of us don't often have to do per our industry is focus on a lot of storytelling. So I'm sure a lot of you listening have heard at some point on the internet, you know, that storytelling is a secret to success on social media. The people that succeed and really thrive on social are the best storytellers. Stories are just what people relate to. They trigger emotional responses and they make people really invested in the outcomes or conclusions of things. So that brings us to the real question, which is how do you tell a good story? Each story or each YouTube video, as you can honestly swap out the word story for video from here on out, that you're going to make, you should have a few things in place to make that story really compelling. At the simplest version of a story, you're going to have a setup, a conflict, and a resolution. The setup should outline the purpose of the context of the story or video. The conflict should communicate the stakes or the problem or challenge that you're trying to overcome in the story or video. And finally, the resolution or the climax should leave the reader or the viewer with some sort of closure or an outcome to the story or video. So this is a general story arc, and it's always going to have essentially a beginning, a middle, and an end. If you really want to dig even deeper into storytelling, although I, I will say the things I've mentioned already above, just that simple, simple outline of having a setup, a conflict, and a resolution, once you've mastered that, that piece alone will get you pretty good videos as far as storytelling goes. Now, if you really want to dig deep into storytelling, 
keep in mind, there are many ways to tell a compelling story, but one that I'm really partial to personally and the storytelling, I guess, style that I'm really kind of obsessing over right now is this idea called a Harmon Circle approach to storytelling. So the Harmon Circle is outlined as follows. One, you need a character or you need to be the character and you're in a zone of comfort. We're going to explain this in a little bit. Two, there needs to be a need. The character needs to want something. Three, you need to go. The character needs to go into an unfamiliar situation. Um, This can be framed as like going on a mission or going on an adventure, going somewhere, doing something. Four, the character needs to search. You need to search for something. Five, they need to get what they want and they need to find what they were searching for. Whether that is in a positive light or a disappointing light, just something needs to be discovered or found. That's five. Six is to take. You need to take the thing you were searching for that you found, whether it was positive or negative, you need to pay either a price for it, a sacrifice around attaining it, or change or grow for it. So in exchange for taking the thing, you had growth take place. Seven, the character returns. They return from their unfamiliar situation, the mission or adventure, back to where they started, their zone of comfort. And then finally, eight would be change. The character, the subject, will have to have changed or transformed in some way. So to summarize this in a a more, you know, I guess simple terms, easier to remember, is essentially the idea of the story is that you or a character go searching for something, find it, take it, return back to where you began, having changed or experienced some sort of growth or experience. If you can master that, the next thing you can consider beyond just the story arc or the Harmon Circle storytelling approach itself is to also add elements into your videos or stories like foreshadowing or cliffhangers. If you remember the, you know, the last time you read a typically a, a fiction book, there's going to be, you know, the end of the story or the end of the chapter where you're left on a cliffhanger and you are dying to know what happens next. This also happens in a lot of the shows we watch. It's why we binge series because the end of the episode ends and you're just like, no, I need to know what happens. And you click, you know, you click play again or you let Netflix autoplay right along to the next episode. These same kind of cliffhangers can be applied in your YouTube videos to create suspense and have the viewer continue to watching the next video. And the more watch time you get across your channel, the better your videos in your channel will do on YouTube. You can also foreshadow, like I mentioned, and foreshadowing isn't something a lot of YouTubers incorporate. But if you really have a story planned out for your video, whether it's a simple version, you know, the setup, the conflict, the resolution, or a more in-depth approach for something like the Harmon Circle, All of that can include foreshadowing if you already know or have kind of like a roadmap of where you're going. So I think that with that being said, any story with those elements will be vastly set up for more success in terms of views, audience retention, etc. simply because they include stronger elements of how to tell a proper story. Factor is utilizing hooks and creating a strong hook or introduction. Now, I have a little question here submitted to me via message from Bran, our co-host. So I'm going to read this. It says that it seems like everyone, just about everyone on YouTube has a talent. What would you recommend for people who want a YouTube fan base, but they don't need to know what direction to go in? I would actually disagree with that statement to, to I guess, disagree to a degree. Um, some of the biggest channels are people like Mr. Beast, who aren't particularly talented. They just facilitate challenges or giveaways. Um, another massive creator, Marquise Brownlee, particularly have a talent. They simply review technology in a beautiful way uh, on their channel. 
So I don't, I think if you actually go through who the top channels and YouTubers are, you'll find that their content isn't talent-based as much as you'd assume it would be. Um, it also, you might be in a playback loop or, or I guess a viewership bias of the kind of YouTube videos you, you typically watch on your own. So like if you are typically drawn to talented people, maybe that's just what you're watching more of. But if you actually just research top YouTubers on YouTube or top YouTube channels on YouTube, a lot of what you'll find is that the subject of the video is not a talent and it's also not the YouTuber, which we're also going to talk about a little bit more in depth later when we get to that last point about having content not be about you. So hopefully that that addresses a little bit of, of your question. So now going into strong hooks and intros, the hook of your YouTube video is the the first single sentence that capture the, captures the viewer's attention. Hooks are used across all kinds of content, by the way. Um, we use hooks in our Twitter threads. Uh, if you saw our recent Twitter thread about Twitter itself, <laughs> it started with, I believe the hook was ready for whiplash. So that hook is a short, simple statement. And ready for whiplash is three words that communicate to you, the reader, you're about to hear something you've already heard that is contrary to what you heard prior or that you're about to be exposed to information contrary to you to what you believe to be true. So just those three words communicated a really effective hook to get you to continue reading the thread. This is just kind of something that has to be done across social because we are in this war for attention. You have to capture the reader. You have to capture the viewer's attention. Um, otherwise, you're just at a disadvantage as a, you know as a content creator for whatever you're putting out. So the hook in your YouTube video, again, typically the first sentence that's stated um, that captures a viewer's attention. It's the single most important element, in my opinion, and often your only chance to capture viewers' attention is with the hook itself. Another part to that I want to touch on here, a little bit off script to what, I, to what I'm explaining, is that also when you're looking through YouTube, say on your TV um, or on your computer, your desktop, a lot of YouTube videos will autoplay the first few seconds of the video. And that is another reason why having that hook be the very first thing that plays or that is heard or that is demonstrated on the video is so important because if that video has a chance to autoplay to someone who's hovering over it and thinking about watching it, that's your chance to claim their attention and capitalize on it because that autoplay will get that hook out there and then hopefully it's been interesting enough or use an interesting enough hook to capture the viewer and get them to continue watching the video. So with that being said, for the few of you on here that maybe are less familiar with hooks, I pulled some examples of what hooks could be used in a YouTube channel, and I'm going to read through those now. I will also put a disclaimer on this. If you are a creator writing, you know, things on Twitter or blogs or, you know, you're, you're in need of hooks for reels or TikToks or YouTube videos, what you can always do is head over to ChatGPT and ask it to write your hooks for you. Um, all of the hooks I'm about to read to you are hooks ChatGPT pulled up. So just keep that in mind. That's a pro tip that will save you a lot of time and effort. So some of the hooks could be, you won't believe what I found today on X adventure. That's a hook. Are you tired of X thing? Here's how to solve it. That's a hook. Exclusive behind the scenes look at X that you won't see anywhere else. The truth about X topic, brace yourself. Discover the secret to X outcome with this simple trick. My biggest successes or failures revealed. Here's what I learned. 10 things you didn't know about X. That one should sound familiar because familiar there are entire channels dedicated to 10 things or 10 places or 10 ways or, you know, these kind of numbered countdown things. They're very effective. That's why there's so many channels that use them. My, insert family member, friend, pet, surprised me with the most incredible X thing, whether that be a gift or a prize or what have you. 
I tried trendy or unusual activity for a week, and here's what happened. You won't believe what I ate on my trip to insert foreign city place, etc. You'll notice that these hooks in their examples are geared at communicating what the video will be about, hooking the viewer with the expectation of what they will learn or see once they finish watching it, and some of them even add the suggestion that it's likely not what you're expecting in some of these cases. So the first sentence needs to be very short, very clear, and it should convey all of the information we just mentioned in the most optimized and effective way possible. The, the biggest thing you can do to lose your audience in a hook is drag it out or use big words or any of those kinds of things. You need to use the simplest words, the shortest phrase possible with the most impact it can possibly have. And also something good to keep in mind too, as far as hooks go, especially if you're someone or, you know, an adult creator that relies heavily on writing, maybe you have a blog or maybe you do writing on your paywalls or whatever it might be. It's good to also keep in mind that majority of readers on a global scale don't read beyond an eighth grade reading level. So really using language that's going to be communicated effectively to an audience, knowing that most people don't read above an eighth grade reading level is a good thing to consider when you are writing your hooks or, you know, writing your Twitter threads or whatever you're going to go out and venture to do. So keep that in mind as well. It's kind of like a pro tip off to the side. Now, all of that with your hook considered. The next part of your video is going to be the intro. So the hook is obviously a part of your intro, but it's more than just the hook. So when you outline your introduction as a whole, the hook is simply the first element in that entire equation. So the outline of what your intro should look like or should include would be first the hook to communicate who you are either by showing or telling your viewer, again, as few words as possible. And then three would be setting the remaining context for the video or whatever stakes are to come. So when I say the hook, we, we know what that is. When we say communicate who you are by showing or telling, this can be done like on SexWorkCO. I tried to accomplish this by you roll the intro to SexWorkCO. It shows you some of the press we've gotten. It shows you me at speaking you know, engagements and things. It shows you me behind a laptop. It shows me working. It communicates kind of an authority on a topic without having to explain, I have a decade in the industry. I launched this many companies. I make this much a month off my platform. You know, I don't have to tell you those things because I can show you visually and try to get the same the same point or, or I, I guess, idea communicated visually. So you can, whenever you have the opportunity to show something to communicate versus tell, that's going to be really effective on a platform like YouTube. So communicating who you are in either as little words or by showing the audience. And then three, set the remaining context for the video or the stakes. So that really gives you the opportunity to start filling any other information the viewer is going to need before jumping into whatever you promised them when you hooked them in. So once you've mastered the hook and you've grabbed the viewer's attention, you have about 10 to 15 seconds max to communicate the rest, the who you are, what the subject of the video is, any remaining context of that video. So if you're looking on YouTube for the best example of a hook, in my opinion, the best examples of hooks and intros are from Mr. Beast. He's one of the biggest YouTubers on the platform. Um, he's really mastered this part of his videos and we'll use him in a future, you know, future examples as the space continues. But usually in one to two sentences, he conveys all of this information in as few words as possible and also in a very simple to understand way. And within those 10 seconds of that video or so, he's already jumping into the body of the video beyond the intro, beyond the hook. 
and he begins delivering on what the hook had promised the viewer. So the faster you can start delivering on what your hook promises at the beginning of the video, the more viewer attention you're going to have and retain. So this brings me to just a major mistake many new YouTubers make, myself included. I'm actively making this mistake currently on both Sexwork CEO's channel and my Melrose Michaels videos. And that mistake is by having like a 10 to 30 second introduction play at the video, you know, the beginning of your videos for each video. So that beautifully crafted introduction, while it might be really well produced and in, in just beautiful and you might be really proud of it because you worked really hard on it, it's ultimately really repetitive. And it also delays the time for your audience from getting to the hook of the video to the body of the video and delivering to them on the hook that you promised. So it's really the highest point where viewers will get bored and click off of your video, which is exactly the opposite of what you want as a YouTube creator. Is while many creatives are gonna, you know, love a beautifully crafted introduction, myself included, it's not actually helping your content or your channel. So this is a major thing I'm personally gonna be changing on my future content as well. You know, my ego aside, the data is there and it tells you that having an intro that's five, 10, 30 seconds long, that's repetitive across each each video, each episode, each whatever, it actually doesn't do you good for your channel. It actually hurts it. If you're enjoying this podcast episode so far, please take one moment to share it with another one of your adult content creator friends because you know what the rule is here. We do not gatekeep and we want to make as many adult creators' businesses as easy as possible. And you sharing this episode with them might do exactly that. Thanks so much in advance. Now let's get back to it. I do have another question here from Brie that someone submitted and it says, what about for shy models or more of introverted models? How could we approach this being YouTube? I think that's a great question. And I think that a lot of why creators don't start YouTube is that fear of like, I don't want to have to talk on camera. I don't know what I talk about. It's a lot of this like overwhelm, you know, right from the get go. And I totally get that. But even if you started your, your channel with something as simple as reading, you know, DMs from fans, that's something I've seen a lot of creators do that was originally, you know, kind of a trend we saw in mainstream, like reading mean tweets was a big trend on, on late night talk shows that went viral and things of that nature. So you can do a lot on a YouTube channel that doesn't necessarily mean coming up with this big idea or this big story. It just has to have a, a beginning, a middle and end or follow a story kind of structure into how you frame it. So maybe you start with, today I woke up and here are the top three messages I found in my DMs from fans. Let's get into it. Boom, you set up the context of the story, you had a hook, and now you're getting it. And then you're reading the messages from fans, maybe you're replying to the fan publicly in a YouTube video while keeping you know, their DM anonymous. Obviously, you're only gonna choose DMs that would be useful or acceptable on YouTube. You're not gonna read some like super X-rated thing, but you can simplify your approach to YouTube in that way. And there's also a lot of successful YouTube creators or YouTube channels that are entirely faceless. So that's kind of a, a different lane entirely. Um, I don't think that that use would serve the adult creator purpose that I'm, I'm trying to speak to about like funneling, building an audience, funneling that audience over to your paywalls because you've grown it on YouTube, but it is possible. So keep that in mind. If you do want to approach YouTube and maybe not for this use case that we're discussing here, there are other ways to do it. And we can probably have future spaces to cover kind of those alternative ways more in general. So I hope that sort of answers. Um, and then in general, if you just are kind of concerned about being shy, I also think a lot of that really falls off the more you do something. You know, the first time you do something is always going to be scary. 
And the more you do it, the less scary it gets um, over time. Keep that in mind as well. The more practice and repetition, the better you're going to get regardless. Now, this next part of this podcast focuses on strategic cuts and pacing. So this is really important because strategically cutting your content and maintaining a pace to your video is what keeps the viewer engaged, watching, and ensures that they won't click off the video because they get bored. So let's first define what cutting content is. So a cut in content is anywhere where you splice the content in its timeline during the editing process to basically change what's on the screen or move to a separate clip, things like that. That's where you cut the content. So for example, content that has many cuts will usually on YouTube anyways, have a cut every three to seven seconds to change the frame of what you see on the screen or to change what you're looking at in the video itself. Typically, this is done to keep viewers watching the content. And why why this is, is because, well, due to short attention spans of viewers, thanks to, you know, the way social is set up currently, it takes a lot to keep a viewer watching a video. So the more cuts you have in the video itself, the more you're changing what they're looking at, the more they're going to keep their attention on the video and stay engaged. So if you watch, you know, some of the larger YouTube's con- YouTubers' content, you're going to notice that they cut their content to shift the focus on whatever the subject is between every three to seven seconds. Some do it so much, it's also every one second. I've seen some YouTube channels that have videos that cut almost every single second, which is wild and the pace of their videos is very fast. But overall, these cuts keep the viewer watching the screen and it lengthens the viewer retention. So again, they don't get bored and click off. Now, I know a lot of you listening are probably thinking, man, that sounds like a lot of editing cuts and it sounds like a lot of editing. It probably is. When you start watching some of these really successful YouTubers and their videos, you know, some of these videos have like 180 million views, for example, and you really look closely at them, you're going to see that these cuts are taking place nonstop. That's because it's effective. It's going to increase the likeliness and the likeliness, I guess, of success on the platform for your videos. Now, again, it is overwhelming, but you want to, if you have this information, you know cutting is going to keep the viewer's attention. It's going to keep the viewer retention. Having that as a tool in your toolbox is going to set you up for success with the more practice you get, the more videos you put out. So just keep this in mind when you're editing the video, having more cuts, shifting the focus consistently to one thing and then another, that is going to go a long way in terms of that video's success. This next part is pacing. Pacing complements the way you cut your content. So they really do work kind of symbiotically. So when you're thinking about pacing overall, you should try to keep a fairly quick pace throughout your video. However, you should also use slowing the pace at times as a tool itself. So slowing the pace can be really appropriate to stress, you know, certain points of the video, to re-engage the audience during the video, or to draw emphasis on something. Pacing itself is genuinely an art form, and mastering this is going to take your content to a much more compelling, you know, level in terms of the viewers to continue watching and the content overall. So pacing is kind of the second part of what happens when you cut. If you're cutting every one second as a byproduct, your pace is going to be very, very fast. If you're cutting every three to seven seconds, your pace is going to be fairly quick, but very watchable, very, um, very similar to what we will watch regardless of where we look, whether that be a TV show, whether that be TikTok, whether that be wherever. So that three to seven seconds, I think, is a better guide. If you really want like a fast-paced, action-packed kind of approach to content, you can consider cutting that down to, to one second. But again, just starting out, I think three to seven seconds is a really good goal to aim for. 
And also pacing itself complements the cut. So you can adjust your pacing by adjusting your cuts and you can use your pacing to emphasize parts of your storytelling by slowing down certain parts of your cuts and by slowing down certain parts of your pacing. Now, this next section is not going to shock most of you, this being relatable to your audience, but I will say this is something that I personally have a lot of trouble with. Myself as a creator, whether that be my adult content or my sex work CEO content, whatever I'm working on, I always want it to be perfection. And this is a huge problem I have. It's why a lot of my adult videos I spend the most time on do poorly because I will produce something to a point where the viewer just doesn't relate to it. They don't feel like I'm attainable. They don't feel like they can relate to me, the person in the videos. So this is something I'm really going to be personally focusing on with the channels as I kind of go through this process myself. But you need to really strive to find ways to be relatable to your audience. You want to make the viewer of your content feel like they know you, feel like they can relate to you, or that they are faced in life with similar things to you. So if you can create content that's absolutely perfect and polished, or maybe it highlights a lifestyle or a circumstance that your viewer can't relate to, you and your content instantly become less interesting to your audience as a whole because they just don't relate to it. They don't have anything in common with it. They, they don't feel like they'll ever have that experience. So why watch what you're putting out? Now, luckily for you know you listening, but mostly for me who struggles with this, some relatability in terms of content can be manufactured. So there's a little part of that formula that you can actually kind of fake it till you make it. And what I mean by this is you can leave things in your content or edit your content in ways that help to humanize you on purpose. So some examples of this can be done by let's say leaving in a part of the content where you're saying something and you mess up what you're saying. So you stumble over your words and you leave that in. This can be maybe a film piece where you're not perfectly framed in the video or your camera or phone that you're shooting with you know, falls over or the tripod collapses. This can be left in the video as well to make you come across more relatable. You can also leave in the sections of the video where you actually go and hit the record button. This kind of without seeing but shows the audience that you're just a person you're just a person with a camera click and record and going about your storyline or your video whatever it might be things like this can really work to humanize you to the audience and also remind them that you're more alike than you actually are different so that alone is going to drive a lot more people to click subscribe because they feel more connected to you the creator themselves we have another question coming in what are some other ideas for YouTube videos that we can make as adult creators? Um, she mentioned reading the comments, but what are other things we can do? So the ideas themselves, this is a, a tricky thing because I I want to encourage, you know, creativity and authenticity to, to whatever extent anyone is, I guess, really original these days because we're all just coming up with things that have likely been done before, whether we know it or not. But what I'll suggest is that there are a lot of big adult creators already on YouTube. I guess I shouldn't say a lot. There's like five to 10 that come to mind to me right off the bat. And you can look up what, what stuff they're doing. And I actually talked a, a little bit about that later in the podcast. So I'm going to leave that kind of open-ended for now, but off the top of my head. And you can also, again, ask ChatGPT for ideas of videos you can create for YouTube. It'll give you a massive list and they don't have to be related to adult. I think that's where a lot of adult creators get stuck is we always think in things in context of as an adult creator. And that's why I really wanted to emphasize at the beginning of the space to just think of yourself as a creator because it really will remove so many of those restraints we put on ourselves mentally. And almost like, and I, I'm speaking for, my, for myself here, 
I will pigeon myself as an like pigeonhole myself as an adult creator. And when I think of myself in that box, all the other things I could be doing, I, I no longer have access to because I've put myself in this box of adult creator versus creator. You could have mukbangs on YouTube. You could start an ASMR channel on YouTube. You could read DMs from fans on YouTube. You could do a fitness channel on YouTube. And all of these things I'm gonna I'm gonna get into still here later in the space, but those are just some examples. And we can also, again, do maybe like a Twitter thread here in the upcoming week on additional examples. But those are some that you can get started with. And also making sure, you know, what you're starting is something you can finish. These channels don't get built overnight. This is a long-term endeavor. You should be passionate about the thing you're going to create around or the stories that you want to be telling. Um, So keep that in mind as well. But because we do go over this a little bit later, um, I'm going to continue the space because I think some of this will still get answered even further. Uh, further on in, in this podcast. So this last, this is the last part of the elements that I want to talk about. Um, and I think it's the most surprising. So this piece is creating content that isn't about you. And I think this is the part of my research about YouTube that I found the most surpri- like surprising and the most counterintuitive. What really has to be considered here is the vast size of YouTube users base, like the base of users on YouTube. And the reality is that most viewers on YouTube are likely going to have no idea who you are. So with the exception of someone really famous, like a Riley Reed or Alana Rhodes or something like that, most people on YouTube in this audience, you know, the second or third most trafficked website in the world, millions and millions of people, they, they're just not going to know who you are. They're not going to know who I am. They're not going to know who most people are because there's just, they're just not, we're just not at that extent. We're not celebrity status, right? For the majority of us here today, myself included, because people aren't going to know who we are, you alone as a creator aren't going to come off as a very interesting subject. And I don't mean to say that in any way that's negative. It's just the reality of in terms of capturing someone's interest in terms of subject matter, you as a person, if they do not know you, they aren't really inclined to care about your what your life looks like or, or what you do on a daily basis. And this is why you don't want to make you the subject of the videos. So this is the reason that I'm kind of seeing as I go through these big channels and I go through these massively viewed, you know, videos is that most of the giant YouTubers aren't actually the subject of the videos. So continuing, you know, with that Mr. Beast example, the subject of his content are these massive challenges or giveaways. If you look at Marcus Brownlee's content, the subject is the technology that he's reviewing. He's a technology review channel. It's really beautifully done and we know who does it but he's not the subject of the content. If you go to a channel, a female-led channel like Sniper Wolf, Sniper Wolf, which is SS or SS Sniper Wolf channel, her content and videos is just her reacting to other people's videos. Any adult, you know, creator listening to this Twitter space right now could get on YouTube and start a reaction channel tomorrow, just reacting to big TikToks or popular other videos. That's totally something that any adult creator lane-wise could get into. And interestingly enough, even though those creators have more than 10 million plus subscribers, and even though if they did launch a vlog or a, a channel about a day in their life, that would be massively interesting because they're so big and they still don't do it. So I think this really speaks to not centering yourself as a subject of the content, which as an adult creator is so hard to wrap my head around because in the content we create, we are the subject. So I think that this is the biggest shift most creators need to really work through, at least for myself, is that you are not the subject. You are just facilitating conversation around the subject or you're facilitating 
and communicating your experience with the subject or you're reacting to the subject or whatever it might be. So I think this is the real takeaway and the real big shift that um, adult creators going into YouTube are going to struggle with, at least, again, personally speaking. The reason I find successful YouTubers aren't making content about them as a subject, not only because it's not going to be as interesting to people who don't know them, but also for a secondary reason. And this is really mind-blowing to me. And it took a lot of watching these videos and, and going through these channels to highlight this. But consider this. Because the type of content that a YouTuber makes or a creator makes is interesting to people, you know, you want it to be interesting to the viewer. If you are a person that most people do not know, they do not have an interest in watching content about you. However, if you make content about things instead of about you, automatically anyone can watch that content. So where this gets interesting is here. Why is this important? Because if your content has a high likelihood of being interesting to watch for people who have no idea who you are, that means that your content will always attract new subscribers. Again, because those people have no idea who you are. Whereas the inverse, content that focuses solely on you as the subject, is only really catering to fans who already know who you are or have an interest in you, aka people already subscribe to you. So this is a blaring mistake tons of creators are making on YouTube because they're not making content that caters to new audiences, constantly gaining new people who have no idea who they are. Instead, they're making content geared towards people who already know who they are and isn't interesting to people who have no idea who they are, aka potential new subscribers. So I thought that that was really the biggest, you know, highlight for me in all the stuff I've been looking at is that even though these giant creators on YouTube, you know, the Mr. Beast, the Marcus Brownleys, the Sniper Wolves, the whoever, they still don't make content about them as the subject because if they do, it's less likely to be interesting to new potential subscribers finding the channel. And I think that is massively, massively telling is that those creators, no matter how big they get, they're still making content with the goal in mind of creating new subscribers and new fans out of people who have no idea who they are. Backing up and kind of summarizing these five major elements, right? We have the strong hooks and intros. We have the strategic cuts and pacing. We have being relatable to an audience and then creating content that isn't about you. Out of all of that, you should start to kind of see a bit of a roadmap emerging in terms of how you can start to imagine and shape a YouTube channel that you plan on building. There are a ton of other things, you know, that go into building a channel, but I think that these are the most fundamental building blocks of someone who's one, just getting started, or two, someone who started already, but maybe not optimizing correctly for these specific aspects. Example, you know, the way that I'm not optimized specifically for Sexwork CEO's videos or for the Melrose Michael videos that I've currently already put out. So knowing that whether you're just starting a channel or whether you have a channel, but maybe you're kind of a little bit aimless with it or you're not sure where to take it, I think that evaluating these five major elements will really help you dial them in. And I think that's kind of the place to start. Now, the only remaining question for most of you listening to this, again, per the last question that we had submitted, is really what to create content about. And I think that that specifically could be an entire Twitter space alone. But what I will say is this, the content you want to create, whatever that ends up being, again, ChatGBT can help with this, should be made for the audience that you want to build. That is the most important part. So for most of us in this space and, and listening to this or people that will listen to this later on our podcast, the audience that you're trying to attract is a typical 
you know, type of person for a lot of us here listening that's probably male that is 18 plus. And typically it's English speaking unless you as a creator speaks a second or third language. So you really want to keep your audience in mind. And this goes for any content you create because you want the content to be viewed by that kind of audience. And that is the audience you're trying to build and trying to cater to. So while some of you listening might really be interested in building a large channel around things like, you know, maybe makeup or maybe fashion, and you can totally do that. I just think that that's a different lane than what we're describing here in terms of creating and utilizing YouTube for a traffic to funnel to your adult paywalls and platforms, because you will need to target the same audience on YouTube that you want to make their way over to your paywalls in terms of like, you know, aggregating a community and building building an audience. And while you obviously cannot link adult platforms to YouTube, because I know I'm sure some of you guys listening are thinking about that as well. What you can link is your socials, is your personal website or a blog that you maintain. And also if you're a creator who's well optimized in terms of SEO, you know, search engine optimization, so that when someone Googles your creator name, your stage name, all of your platforms appear, all of your socials appear, then you're even better positioned to funnel traffic from YouTube to your platforms without having to say a thing. Because if people fall in love with your YouTube channel, they are going to know your name, they're going to know your brand, they're going to have a lot of exposure to it, and they will Google it and find you wherever they want to find you and, you know, wherever you're likely monetizing. So that being said, while some adult creators on YouTube, um, like Amaranth is a great example, one of the things that they really focus on or she really focuses on creating is things like lingerie hauls. I've also seen lingerie hauls from Land of the Plug as another creator who's done this. Other things are Twitch stream compilations. Obviously, Amaranth is a, ma a massive Twitch streamer. So having compilations from things she's done on Twitch into a video that's also been successful for her. And then you have other creators entirely like the Lane of the Plug or Lana Rhodes, who they really made their space on YouTube with podcasts and vlogs. But again, even though a vlog is about what you're doing as a creator, it doesn't need to be subject matter on what you, like you as the, as the person is the subject. It should be about the thing you're doing that day or a story you're telling about your life or anything but you. This way, it's interesting to everyone who might be tuning in and again, doesn't know anything about you. You can also consider massive creators on YouTube who maybe they don't consider themselves adult creators, you know, per se, but they still have or maintain an OnlyFans. So a lot of creators like that, like you can think of like the Jen Selters of the world um, who are known for their booty, but they're known for that because of the kind of workout videos that they put out. So you can also take that approach if you're really into fitness and, and that's your thing. You can do and build a channel all around fitness that is still geared toward, you know, a male demo just with the strategic, you know, camera angles you're using. So however you do it, as long as you're doing it intentionally with the viewer and that audience that you want to build in mind and really create and craft content around attracting that kind of viewer and audience, you stand to be really successful in terms of, you know, getting that channel built. So hopefully this gives everyone listening just a bit more to think about, I guess, in terms of planning their YouTube channel, optimizing it, and then of course, getting it off the ground. This is probably a topic I think I'll cover more in the future as I personally kind of go through my YouTube journey as a creator. So you're going to, you can expect to hear things from me regarding, you know, more insights as I experience things and things are kind of brought to my own personal awareness and attention. That being said, I do really want to thank some of you guys here listening. I've seen the feedback from you guys regarding um, you know, the courses we've been putting out and the threads we've been putting out. And I really want to thank you for all the positive feedback. 
And also there's been feedback to that is super constructive, like things we can improve on. And I always appreciate that as well. So thank you for everyone who has contributed that. I really appreciate you. I see some of you guys in here. Um, we do have a lot of great courses coming out in the next few months, including a course on a new platform, which will help you generate new subscribers to your fan sites. I'm super excited about that. Um, we're going to have a course about AI solutions regarding how you can implement them in your creator business. I've waited to talk about AI because while new AI things hit the scene literally every day, um, a lot of their terms of service kind of get implemented later. And I want to make sure that the, the programs and softwares I'm speaking to can actually be used for our use cases. So I have held off on talking about that, but that is coming as well. And then also uh, a course on how you can kind of track your free trial fans. So the fans you acquire for free who don't pay to get access to your paywalls, but a way that you can monetize them and see how you've monetized them as well. So I think that course is really interesting. Being able to see kind of what you've earned off of fans that have paid nothing to get to your paywalls and how much they're actually spending per user. That is a massively useful tool for creators. So I'm really excited to talk about that as well. So again, if you're not subscribed to our YouTube channel, please, please do. It is youtube.com forward slash SWCEO. And of course, turn on your notifications by hitting that bell when you get there so that you never miss a new video. Uh, lastly, most importantly, I really want to emphasize that all the information we put out here on Sexworks CEO is free because I do believe in this idea that the more financially successful creators are, the more resources we as a community are going to have to do powerful things like lobby Congress, impact policy, organize, and more. So if you also value that mission and that message, please, and you've learned you know, anything here today or from our tweets or the educational stuff we've put out, consider sharing it on your own socials, on your own timelines, so that you can help make the journey of becoming a successful adult creator simpler for your creator friends. Our only ask is that you retweet and share our stuff to as many people as humanly possible because that is how many people we want to touch and help. This is going to bring us to the end of this podcast. Uh, we will have another coming next week, a macro and micro approach to content creation, both for the safe for work mainstream social content, as well as the not safe for work adult content. So basically, I want to use next week's podcast to talk tactically about how to optimize creating content itself, distributing it across both social and adult platforms effectively, and kind of what that outline looks like in an optimized way so that you can put it into practice yourself. So if you had a daily to-do list of do XYZ thing and you know post it XYZ places, that's kind of what I want next week's space to focus on because that's kind of one of the questions I personally get asked um, in my Melrose Michaels DMs as well as uh, the Sexwork CEO DMs. I'm going to wrap this up. Thank you so much for tuning in CEO Squad and uh, I will see you all next week. It would be absolutely incredible if you rated this podcast five stars and left a little review, we want to get this podcast to as many adult creators as possible. And you taking a second to leave a couple stars and a review really helps us do that. Hope you enjoy. Thanks, guys. Who misses free and affordable ads without the anti-sex work rhetoric? Assembly 4 is a team of sex workers and technologists from Melbourne, Australia, aiming to bring back free and fair advertising to the sex work community. They also give back to organizations based in harm reduction, sex work, and education. Stepping away from the clunky design of traditional platforms, their platform, Trist.link, is a refreshing and well-needed change in both presentation and mission. It's free to join and open to all. In the words of an A4 user, from the policies to the language to the advice and tips, it makes such a big difference to feel supported and encouraged instead of policed.